Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Talking About Our Beautiful Savior, Pastor Alice Growth. I'm Carrie Growth. Our first podcast of 2023. It's going to be a good one. Mm -hmm. well, let's not, let's <laughs> under promise and over deliver. Okay. So sure. this one will be. It might be all right. Okay. Six out of 10. <laughs> uh, my New Year's resolution is not to mention Arby's. <laughs> well, you just, you just mentioned it. No, I had to say it just to. You know, say the resolution, but now from now on, no more. No more. All right. Uh, the theme for worship this weekend: Jesus appears as the Savior of all nations. Uh, we're celebrating what's called Epiphany in the church here, also known as Gentile Christmas. Uh, Melville picked the start of the podcast to immediately start <laughs> growling at something that is unseen out the window. <laughs> but thank you, Melville, for yeah. keeping us safe. Appreciate we it. Appreciate you. Uh, let's get into the Sunday School lesson right away. This is a, a different one. It's called Worship in the Tabernacle. So it's not necessarily a story. It really is just two sections of Exodus in which God is giving Moses very detailed instructions for what the tabernacle needs to look like. So this is not the temple yet. That's going to come in another, uh, let's see, another maybe 500 years from this point. This is the tabernacle, which was the movable, mobile worship space that they would use in the wilderness, which is pretty amazing when you think about it, that they would set up and take down this worship space and carry it with them wherever they went. Um, just a, So talking through that lesson, a huge part of the book of Exodus is God's instructions to do this. Um, most of the action in the book of Exodus is packed up front. And the instructions are incredibly detailed. Mm -hmm. It is, I don't know, which I sometimes talk about like when you're doing a three-year Bible reading plan, which is a really good idea. Mm -hmm. But I think when you're doing one of those that start, like we're just reading straight through Old Testament and New Testament, Genesis is not easy, but it's easier because yes. it's a lot of narratives mm -hmm. and things like that. And it's kind of, there is action. It moves you through. You get to Exodus and the start of Exodus is very exciting with you know, some of the lessons we've done in November and December with you know, Moses in a basket and plagues and Red Sea and manna and all those things. But then you get to about Exodus 25 and it really is very detailed architectural instructions from God to mm -hmm. Moses and you just if you're just reading this without being ready for that you're kind of like what, oh boy. what is going what on like, this is into? yeah this is odd um can we say maybe that it feels boring if yeah you're, if you're I think not, you could say that mm -hmm. if you're not sure like why this is is being included in here uh and it took them six months just to get ready and prepare all the items God instructed them to use for worship that's a long long time and God also instructed them to bring offerings forward to buy the materials for this worship space, pay for the construction of it. So it's it's their place they're going to worship God, and God is teaching them. It's interesting that as they prepare this place to worship God, God is teaching them how to worship him with their offerings. They're going to you know, sacrifice these gifts in order that they'll have a space where they can worship and honor yeah, God. Yeah, so the, the cool thing, you said the word interesting, talking about this, you know, section. So when you when you see the big picture like what what is happening here it's it does become really fascinating mm -hmm. like in those details so. mm -hmm. yeah um so just talking through some of the things that god instructs them to build and we'll talk about why he's doing this at the end tabernacle itself i think i when i was younger i pictured like this massive thing um i have some of the dimensions here 50 feet long 17 feet wide 17 feet high that's not 
It's not big. This again, it's not the temple. I have no concept of space, so can you tell me like? So in... think of fifty feet. That's well, ten. What is or... our multi-purpose room? Oh, I, I don't know. Okay. But I think this is five five basketball hoops. Okay. Long, so sixty feet would be what twenty yards. So this isn't even twenty yards long. Think of a football field. How short twenty yards is? Oh. Yeah. This is goodness. Just, it's very short, and it's not. This isn't where people would go into worship. I mean, they're gathered out front. So the note that I have here, I mean, this is like, this is like our chancel, not the size. This is bigger than our chancel. That chancel is that raised oh, platform. Oh, you're supposed to ask me these things. Oh yeah, what's the chancel? Uh, the raised part where the pastors, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and vicar uh, stand for right. the service. Right. So where we conduct the service, where we preach from, that's the chancel. Normally, no one goes up there. Really, um, it's just you know the clergy goes up there. So this, this tabernacle corresponds to the, the chancel. It's just the place where the priests are doing their work, especially the work of sacrifices. Uh, what do you think was the the outer coverings of the tent? So it's got a mm. tent covering. What do you think it's made of, if you had to guess? If I had to guess, I mean, I should know this because I, should, I really should know this, but I don't know it. So You don't even have a guess? Leather? Goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and hides of sea cows. So hides like, of sea cows? Yeah, so <gasps> sea lions. What? Yeah, so it's, Whoa. I mean, you think that makes sense because it needs to be waterproof. Right. So, yeah, it's... Uh, a inner... sea cow is a sea lion? Yeah, I believe so. I, I don't, don't think, think it's, so. I don't think it's a manatee. I'm I Googling think it's a sea it. lion. Okay, I'll, I'll carry the podcast I don't, not, I don't think Google. it's a sea lion. We'll see. Well, we'll see. I don't know if it's uh, if it's going to correspond to animals from 3,500 years ago, <laughs> okay. but you can try. Okay. Inter inter covering the tent, linen curtains. Um, yeah, it's just a very simple structure itself. It's got a wooden framework that supports the, the curtains. So wooden framework, curtains inside, you know, a waterproof roof on the outside. Uh, inside the, the arc, there's the Ark of the Covenant, which is a rectangular chest of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Uh, there's gold molding around it. Uh, each corner, there's fixed gold rings, and the gold rings are what they put the poles in there when they carried the Ark. So, obviously, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark with Indiana Jones, you know, you know, you've got a perfect idea of what it is. Right. No, it's not, not like that. Uh, there's a cover on it. It's called the Mercy Seat. You'll sometimes hear that in the Bible. And on this gold slab cover are two cherubim made of gold, and these figures are facing each other with spread wings exactly what the cherubim look like it's kind of uncertain when we think of cherubs today we think of like the babies. angels that look like little babies but <laughs> definitely not that, them yeah i don't i mean it, it could be i suppose but when cherubim are described in the book of ezekiel they have like kind of a half human half animal form so we don't know exactly what they look like but the wings are spread out toward each other in the ark uh moses puts the uh the two tablets of stone the replacement stones because as we talked about last week he spiked the first ones he scored a touchdown, so the replacement uh, tablets of stone are placed into the ark, and it becomes really God's throne. Uh, in the midst of his chosen people, it, it became very important in the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, which an Orthodox Jew will still celebrate today, when the, the priest would go in, into this most holy place just once a year and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And this was, again, a, a picture of the, holy, the high priest going in mediating on behalf of the people and blood is necessary to cover your sin can i in this very in, with a very, i just need to cut in sorry. okay sure the sea cow is 
and a very large aquatic mammal now extinct. Okay. And that's according to Britannica. Let me see the picture. So yeah, it looks, it looks more like, like a manatee. manatee. Yeah. yeah. But it's extinct. Yeah, I don't know. So we were both wrong. Mm, I don't know that I was wrong. I refuse to. <laughs> sea lion. <laughs> I think it still could be a sea lion. We'll find out. We'll we'll, we'll mention it in the last, next podcast if we remember, <laughs> which is maybe probably not going to happen. <laughs> All right, the ark itself, again, is pretty pretty small, three and a half feet long, one and a half feet high, one and a half feet wide. Um the priest garments, he spends a lot of time talking about the priest will wear the robe of the ephod, the sleeveless outer garment wo- woven of one piece of the cloth. Um, there was bells on the, the robe. Um, I think a couple reasons just to you know, signify you're coming into the Lord's presence. And I think it was also um, just the, if you don't hear those bells move, I mean, in the, the weird scenario, unlikely scenario that the high priest would die in the... You know, most holy place, if you don't hear the bells moving, you know, like, okay, we got to do something. You know, he's not, not moving around anymore. Uh, there's a headdress of pure gold, which was a turban or a cap of white linen, to which was affixed a, fixed a gold plate on which were engraved the words, holy to the Lord. And then there's a tunic, a linen tunic worn underneath uh, the ephod. So just all this, these details about what the priest should wear, which, you know, we don't take as much concerned with that today i mean what beautiful savior we wear robes you know we wouldn't have to necessarily do that but we do do wear robes to kind and of your stole and the stole you know to set us apart as as pastors ordained pastors uh so what do you think why is god making such a big deal but why does he give them such specific instructions like down to you know the inch what these things should look like well i mean it's like really showing you like you're gonna be in the presence of god mm-hmm like you gotta this this is a big deal and you need to be ready like you need to you need you need to like follow certain instructions like you can't just like go and be hey you know because you're the mediator what's up god sorry (laughs) because you're the mediator um and so you're talking about the priest himself yes okay so what was your question well, yeah, you know, I was just saying, why, why such detail about the the worship space? Oh, you know, the, mm-hmm. everything. The the, yeah, just I mean. Um. Well, it it kind of shows how sacred it is. It's mm-hmm. like set apart. This is not a normal, um, like this isn't like your house. Yeah. This is where we go to meet God. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and I think we parallel that today with our worship space. We call our worship space the sanctuary. We don't have an ark, but we do have a table and an altar, and you know, not in which we offer sacrifices, obviously, but it is. You behave differently in the sanctuary than you do in the multi-purpose room. You know, like you don't, we don't let kids run around in the sanctuary throwing a Nerf ball or kicking kickballs. You know, it's just, it's a different feel to it. When you mm-hmm. walk into the sanctuary, God is everywhere, obviously. There's a sense of reverence. But yeah. God does promise to meet us in worship in this very special way. So the place where we worship is very carefully designed, I think. You know, that happened before we got here, but I just think that all the thought that went into our worship space, Beautiful Savior, really shows. I mean, the back wall of stones is beautiful. It's just the stained glass, there's not a lot of it, but what is there is really well chosen and captures the eye. It's I mean, the, awesome. The, um, uh, the, the, the sunburst behind um, the cross with mm-hmm. all the different colors that is our church logo mm-hmm. um the the big windows that bring in light you know not too much light that people are blinded but just it makes it a very 
pleasant, warm space in which to worship. And then the worship service itself is very carefully planned. That's Pastor Russ's role. Um, you know, a sermon, we take that very seriously. The, the guideline we typically follow is every minute that you preach, you're going to spend an hour in preparation. So if it's a 20-minute sermon, that's 20 minute, twenty hours preparation. So Which is big, what yeah, you it's spend, a big, yeah. It's a big chunk of your, your week as a pastor if your preaching is spent getting that sermon ready. So worship is the biggest deal. God cares about it. We strive to show that we care about it too. And that's that's the point of this lesson. So the um, in our church, it like goes up to a point, right? Like in the ceiling. Mm-hmm. So is that called like, so it's supposed to be like a ship, right? The nave? Yeah, ours isn't like the typical nave. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it would be more, a typical nave is more curved and it has like the, the beams. Ours doesn't quite look exactly like that. But it has that feel to it. It does have that feel to it. And what's the significance there? I don't know that there's any oh. significance. Okay. It just looks like the bottom of a ship, so it was called a nave. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, we're not going to talk about it next week's <laughs> podcast. We're just He's wrong. <laughs> All right. Um, and then just to wrap up this Sunday School lesson, after they have everything done and completed, God shows his approval by making his glory visible. So he had been peering before Israel in the pillar of cloud, pillar of uh, fire, and he, he comes to them. You know, to fills the, the tabernacle and basically say, yeah, I, I approve of this worship space. I'm here. All right, moving on to, we're going to do two lessons today like normal. Isaiah 60 is our first lesson. I think I will end up preaching on this. That's what I'm working on right now. Um, the prophet Isaiah says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. See, darkness covers the earth, thick darkness over the people, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. So we were talking before the, we started recording just that this lesson kind of divides neatly into two sections. In one, Isaiah is talking about the darkness that people face and how the darkness of sin and doubt and despair is all over the world. But this light, it's not just coming, it's here. Like it's it's radiant. And you think that's that's Jesus. That's you know, a prophecy about Jesus, that he's, he's come and he pierces the darkness and his glory appears over you. One of the hymns we sing during epiphany season is christ begins that christ steps in christ appears or jesus appears is, has been our theme lately so the glory of god appears in a dark world and that's a striking picture yeah um the light in the dark picture we use that so often during last you know during the end time season of end time and advent and that's one of the challenges i'm thinking about right now is just how to present light and dark in a way that doesn't feel like okay we've talked about that the last you know Eight, oh, you're going to come up with something good. Thanks, I appreciate I'm your confidence. I'm um, excited. The other, like I said, the other piece of this is that people will be attracted to this light. Na- nations will come to your light, kings of the brightness of your dawn. We see that fulfilled in? The wise men. The wise men, which is our gospel today. So the magi come. Uh, they're coming to the, the brightness of Jesus' dawn. From how far away do we need? A couple hundred we, miles. Okay. I mean, it's Babylon to Israel. So it's what, south east of them so a pretty decent journey especially if you're walking or on camel and that second part of the the lesson it has some really fun concepts just if we as the new testament church are seeing this happen we're seeing all these people come to the light and isaiah says you will look and be radiant your heart will throb and swell with joy and that's that's a neat thing just i'm so happy that people are the church is growing and people are hearing about jesus and that's what brings us the greatest joy as Christians is to know God and then to make him known. Um, I like that a lot. Me too. The wealth and the seas will be brought to you. Herds of camels will cover your land. Uh, so, again, the, the gifts that the Magi bring to Jesus. But just all, all these people from, you just picture the globe. And all these people from all these different countries are coming to Jerusalem. 
And, you know, it's not literal Jerusalem. It's just wherever the church is, wherever the gospel is, people from all over the world are finding it. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you see reports of missionary work that our synod and other Christian missionaries are doing all over the world. And you realize, yeah, it's, it's coming true. This is fulfilled in real time. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're seeing this happen, Isaiah 60. Just uh, like one, it was really cool. Um, we had someone come in and talk to us about what they're doing in Thailand. And there's, she was telling me there's less than 1% of people who like know about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's over there. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the daughters of our church. Yeah. Katie, Katie. Lehman, um, working for Thai village. Yeah. So just that mission to let more people know about Jesus in a country where Jesus is not known very well. Right. That's There's a pretty, still so much darkness, but she's doing the work. So this is 700 BC about again, we talked about Isaiah a couple times in these podcasts. So a picture of the new Testament church, 700 years in the future, which is stunning when you realize how bad things looked in Israel at the time. So God is saying through Isaiah, no, there, there's going to be a bunch of people coming to this church in the future. Which you know. That would just be, it would just bring so much hope mm-hmm. to like your... Yeah. Yeah. That you aren't seeing it yet, but you know it's going to happen. And that light is already shining for you. Your work is not in vain. Gospel, like we talked about, Magi came from the east. Uh, last week we talked about how the you know we had the flight to Egypt in Matthew 2 last week. That Jesus and Joseph and Mary are forced to run when Herod is furious. And so we're kind of going back in time before that to the Magi's visit. So we're told they came from the east. You know, who are they? We don't really know. There's lots of speculation about who they are, but it's all they were, speculation. They were uh, able to have nice gifts for Jesus. Yeah, so it appears there were some wealth. So sometimes mm-hmm. it's thought that they were royalty. Uh, and some of the church fathers, you know, think of them as kings. You know, the, what's that song? We three kings of Orient are. And that comes from passages like the one we just read that says, you know, kings will come to the brightness of your dawn. So it's like, okay, were these kings that were coming to see Jesus? But we, we don't know. Uh, probably wealthy, like you said. Um, and one of the other things I've, I've read, you know, speculation about is, so it's Babylon. Daniel was in Babylon mm-hmm. in what, like 586 BC thereabouts. So are these, you know, does Daniel sort of establish this class of people waiting for the Messiah Whoa. in Babylon who are true believers in the Messiah and the God of Israel? And so, you know, 600 years later, now they're they're coming to mm-hmm. because they know about this prophecy. I, I don't know. It's it's interesting to think about, but ultimately we don't really know. We don't really know how many there were. I mean, right. all the art and all your nativity scenes have them. Three. <laughs> Three, but it's that's really just because gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Right. So they follow a star. What does the star look like? I mean, that's really interesting to me. Um, you think about trying to follow a star today. We, I know people use stars for navigation today, but it's not like you're following that star. I've, I always like was so confused about like how do they know where to go. You don't know. <laughs> no. I, I've, I actually uh, disabled my phone's GPS and I, I navigate. <laughs> oh, is that how you get around so now? That's how I get around. Oh, it's really cool. difficult in the day. <laughs> Well, I can't see the stars, and I have like a hospital visit. Right, and just like, the sun. I just drive around. <laughs> I just drive around until I eventually get there. My mileage record that I'm going to submit in January is it's, a, it's a nightmare. Um, no, the, but so they're following a star. So this is obviously a special star that's leading them right. to this place. And it they, looks different. Mm-hmm. That's. They go to Jerusalem. They say, hey, you know, they kind of. It's it's interesting to think about what what were they expecting to find in Jerusalem? Were they expecting like this like general just 
buzz about like yeah the messiah's born the messiah's born like and so they go and ask where's where's the messiah been born we want to worship him and herod's like you know wreck and scratch like what you know you know king what are you talking about king so it's just Herod seems like such an awful guy you know to be threatened by a baby you know but you think too if if he's these well-learned respected rich men mm -hmm. were going to worship him yeah so that must have been confusing for him and just any thought you know if you were a king back then you were almost certainly paranoid all the time about someone assassinating you so even if it's a baby just the thought well somebody wants this baby to be king is that eventually going to are they going to want to kill me uh, so he goes to the scholars in Jerusalem uh, and asks them, where's this baby to be born? And they know. They come up with Micah 5. They say Bethlehem. So a little sad that they knew the prophecy, but then they don't really know Jesus. It. Yeah. Um, so Herod goes to, tells the Magi, hey, you guys go scope it out, and then you come back here and let me know so, so I, can I can go worship him. him, which is a lie. Right. He wasn't going to worship him. Lying makes Carrie. your life bad, you guys. Yeah, we do tell the boys that. And... Uh, yeah, so Herod is going to be real sneaky and trick the Magi into being his his scouts. Um, so and they they do sincerely like believe it. Yeah, that's they seem to really believe yeah. him. Um, the star reappears, and it, where Matthew tells us they were overjoyed to see this, which is that's a mm-hmm. fun thing to think about. The star comes back, and it's like, hey, it's the star, you know, mm-hmm. that special star. Can I can I ask you a question? So, oh man, I know. Sorry. So when they would have seen the star fr- when they were in Babylon, um. What prophecies? None. I don't think there's any. Have. There's no prophecy that would have said follow the star. Not but like he's called. No, no. I mean, like, because they would. So they were just okay. Uh, but okay, wait. So they they knew the star was something special. Yeah, but how do they knew it? I have no idea. Not like he hadn't been called like the morning star or like any I mean, sort of. That was a name for him. I don't. I don't know if that's in the Old Testament or not. Right. Morning Star. That's more of a New Testament concept that also, you know, then that star concept gets applied to the devil. But no, there's nothing that the stars does not fulfill a prophecy. Okay. It's just somehow God had revealed to them okay. that they should follow okay. the star. Um they so the star stops over the home where Jesus is. You know, he's not this isn't they're not at the manger still. You know, the nativity scene always shows hmm. not always, but all a lot of times shows the major at the manger. They weren't at the manger. Is Jesus six months old, a year old, a year and a half, two years old? We don't really know. I think the speculation is that he's probably somewhere between six months and two years just based on when Herod is furious, he orders the execution of all the babies in the vicinity up to age two. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, he's probably we somewhere that he's probably in that, that realm. When um, we put out our nativity scene, my little sister always makes sure the wise men are very far away from mm-hmm. them. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. It's, ac- <laughs> it's so theologically <laughs> accurate. Um, Magic, they find Jesus. They they bring these expensive gifts, and they fall down to worship him, which is pretty amazing. You know, I think of the shepherds kneeling before the manger. Now you have these wealthy, we assume wealthy, very influential men bowing before an infant, bringing their expensive gifts to him. Uh, and then, so they worship him. They just interesting to think about mary and joseph witnessing this again and how you know surreal that must have been for them and then god warns them somehow in a dream to go back a different way so they they don't and that picks up our lesson gospel from last week when you know herod realizes he's been duped by the magi and gets really mad um what's the point for us there just i think you know sometimes there's sometimes like social media posts have corny 
little like kind of cheesy captions like christian captions you know what i mean like you look on yeah on online for something for a specific verse or whatever and it's like oh that is so corny right um but you know sometimes with the with the magi you'll see christian pictures with a caption like wise men still seek him and that is one i actually do like that is pretty clever i i do like that so it's you know the idea that we we are gentiles we bring our gifts to jesus you know we don't follow a star um but we we get to come and kneel before jesus and worship him too so that's that's true we just talked about that in christ light today for seventh eighth grade what does wisdom look like you know our world sees wisdom and guys like i guess what we talked about in class this morning guys like bill gates who are have some sort of tech smarts and use it to make lots of money guys like bill nye who seem to know lots about science and that so that's what these are the smart people we turn to and instead you know as a group we realize well god's wisdom is speak to one another psalms him spiritual songs get together and study god's word together and that's that's true of the magi as well true for us all right uh here's the i think this is the opening hymn for sunday rise up and shine you want to read that verse yes rise up and shine your light has come god's glory breaks the dawn breaks like dawn for though the earth be cloaked in night and gloom shrouds everyone yet over you the lord will rise with glory gleaming clear till nations turn to seek your light and humbled kings draw near so that's a great uh hymn sometimes the hymns just match up so well you can certainly see that this hymn was written with isaiah 60 in mind so the the light god's glory breaks like dawn the earth is cloud cloaked in night groom, groom, gloom shrouds everyone the Lord will rise the glory clean and clear. I mean, those are directly taken from Isaiah 60 and the humbled kings draw near. That's Isaiah 60 and Matthew 2. So a great hymn to kick off the service and just set the tone for everything. Last question, how do we appreciate Gentile Christmas? We mentioned at the beginning of the, the podcast, this is known as Gentile Christmas. Christmas Day is a big deal for us. Um, and then it feels like maybe things kind of, I don't know, in the church year, things calm down a little bit until... Ash Wednesday, like Epiphany, to me is an underrated part of the so church. So underrated. Mm-hmm. So, but this is Gentile Christmas. So this this is Jesus is visited by these Babylonian magi who are not Jews; they're Gentiles. So, what is the significance of that for us? So, well, I mean, that's when everyone else got to find out that there was a savior. Like that message started going out now into the world. So we're all Gentiles. So like. Happy Christmas, Alex. Hey, thank you. Appreciate um, it. That's like, that's, we know about Jesus. It's Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> when you and I were talking before we started recording, it's the, the Jew and Gentile thing was so huge in those first couple centuries, and especially the first century after Jesus you know, ascended into heaven. For us, that doesn't mean much. And I think that's a great sign that Isaiah 60 has been fulfilled, that we don't think right. about Jew and Gentile because we're all in one church now. I mean, yeah doesn't matter what, what race you are, what nation you're from, we believe in the Holy Christian Church. So people from all over the world have been drawn to the light, and that's a great thing. And it doesn't cause us any sort of like, ooh, well, they're different than us. Like it's Isaiah 60 has been fulfilled in spades, and because of that, gentle Christ, Gentile Christmas doesn't feel as big of a deal to us, which is okay. Mm-hmm. You know? That's I, good. Yeah, I mean, it's, that, it's good that the one church, one yeah. Lord, one faith, one baptism of Ephesians 4 that's that's been accomplished. Yeah. So. Anything else? I don't think so. Is Melville asleep? 
She is asleep. I think all that growling the first four and a half minutes of the podcast wore out. Yeah. So thanks for adding your own special flavor, dog. <laughs> I appreciate it. She's uh, She said sh- you're welcome. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye.